Today we're going to do something a little bit different because we have a special guest with us, or a couple of special guests actually. I'd like to invite up Bishop Mushtak and Kyle. Come on up, and we have these beautiful chairs just for you. Here we go, guys. Come on up. You take your pick. You can come sit right next to him. I'm going to angle this one around a bit so I can see you. It's, it's kind of tight on this stage, but we share that. Um, I'm really excited. Bishop Mushtak, um, I've known him for about six or seven years now. Um, we came to know each other through our beloved brother, whose phone just rang, Barry Emerson. I'll, <laughs> I'll tell him I threw him under the bus later. Don't worry. He'll appreciate that. Um, and Barry was going to Pakistan to work with Mushtak, um, particularly through helping women who are coming from just very poor conditions to actually learn business skills so they could create businesses, particularly sewing businesses, but other things as well. And Barry was helping with that. And so he said, well, you should come with me. And about two weeks later, we were on a plane <laughs> going to Pakistan. And uh, I loved it. I fell in love with Pakistan, fell in love with Bishop Mushtaq and his family and his, the churches that we visited as well. And uh, he's been back to visit with us and preached here a couple of times. And we're really grateful that he's with here, us here today. They're just in town for about 10 days, I think. Uh, they've been down to Alabama for the ARC conference down there. And now we have Kyle as well. Kyle has become a friend as well over those last few years as I've gotten to know him and Kyle was working in Canada with a church there but in August he moved to Karachi to go work with the bishop over there and with his team as well so huge blessing to have you guys here today I have a, a few questions I would like to ask you and um, the first one I want to ask both of you is just basically today we're celebrating Christ the King Sunday in our church calendar like I said that's the last Sunday of the Christian calendar and I just want to know, how did Jesus become the king of your heart? First to Kyle, and then to Mushtaq. Yeah, what a good question. Um, so uh, how he became the king of my heart, it's, I'll try and keep it short, mm -hmm. actually. It's an amazing story, though. Um, I wasn't following Jesus. This was about a decade ago. And I actually was on a volunteerism trip to Bolivia that I was kind of forced to go on in my last year of high school. And while I was there, my worldview just started to shift in general. Um, but leading up to this, I, I wasn't following Jesus, even though my family did. And I was, I mean, maybe a typical teenager, lots of like angst, but also quite depressed and struggling with that whole side of things. And not sure on the purpose of life in general and well it was the last day of this trip um, where we were about to leave this boys home of orphans that we'd been working with and two of the guys uh, as we were getting on the bus I ran back to grab my hat that I'd left behind these two brothers and they asked me in broken English when are you coming back and I was like I'm never coming back I'm flying home <laughs> and thank God um, and <clears throat> Then in that moment, and I rarely have heard him like this, but you don't forget it when you do. Um, God spoke into my spirit and said, no, Kyle, you are coming back, not to these two boys, but to the nations. And this is why I made you and you're going to bring my church with you. Mm. And I did not know what to do with that. <laughs> and uh, so that led into a year of going God's direction. Um, but it was about a year later where I, I, he became the king of my heart. And it got me to this place of being able to say yes to the purpose that he given me. And so it was purpose that changed everything from apathy into passion. And that was like my death to life story. And eventually I became obedient to it. And I was actually thinking about this just the other day because of something somebody else had asked me, but it was so freeing that moment where 
I, I submitted to the Lordship of Christ mm. because it, it finally freed me from this tyranny of mm -hmm. trying to be my own God. And I, I still mm. think back to that. And it's his Lordship with my obedience is literally the truest freedom that we can experience. Mm. That's wonderful. Thank you, Carl. <laughs> How about you, Bishop? <clears throat> Uh, well, you all know me. I'm an old guy. He's a new, <clears throat> his, his story is, of course, long. Mine is very short. <laughs> well, I came to Christ when I was 14 years old. Uh, I didn't want to go to church, a typical, like a teenager. Uh, but a friend of mine uh, kind of keep asking me to attend their prayer group. Uh, so lots of invitations. So I kind of gave up uh, one, the last invitation or whatever you call it. And I attended that prayer group, and that night, I felt that something happened to my heart. Mm. And I can't explain that feeling, but that was something that kind of possessed me. Uh, I couldn't left that group anymore. So I would say that's a very short version of my journey started with Christ, and I gave my heart to Christ when I was 14 years old. And since the rest is the story you know that's wonderful yeah. yeah i have two comments you both came to know the lord as teenagers yeah. right yeah. and it's the importance of us doing good youth ministry yeah. remember that and the statistics back up that i think about 70 to 80 percent of people become believers before the age of 14 so interesting right and then uh, the other thing i'd say is the power of invitation your friend didn't right. stop asking you they kept inviting you right yeah so friend, people invite people in and when they reject you invite them again and then again until they get so annoying you have to come right yeah. keep inviting them you know christmas is coming it's a great chance to invite but every sunday is a great chance to invite who are you inviting each week make your goal to invite someone every week okay well this question's for mushtak um in our first reading today from Jeremiah, it talks about God setting shepherds over his flocks as he puts pastors over his people, right? Um, as a leader, you are a shepherd of shepherds, overseeing about 60 churches and many more pastors through Vision for the Kingdom and also Ark Pakistan. Can you tell us more about what you're doing and why? Well, uh, first of all, let me just explain to you the landscape of Pakistan. Mm. I probably have explained it earlier before, but... Uh, just for your reminder, Pakistan is a Muslim, Islamic Republic of Pakistan. Mm -hmm. And uh, working over there is a challenge. And since we are minority, uh, it's a challenge to basically invite and uh, kind of lead the church. So we do have a 60 plus churches, now it's 100, Jonathan, oh. for a little correction. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, so we have seen there is a mainline denomination and no-line denomination, all kind of churches. So we have a great opportunity to unite the churches. And I always say that we cannot afford uh, the division in the church. So uh, you probably have the luxury, but <laughs> we cannot. So we, try to, we are trying to unite the church and through different trainings, we are training the churches that how they can impact and reach their communities. Mm. It's very difficult in that nation to really kind of expose that you want to reach them. Mm. Oh, you are after them. You want to kind of do evangelism mm. and convert. You kind of offend so many people and start persecution. You know, there will be kind of persecution. So we are trying to, we are, we are teaching these churches that there is opportunity for us all to 
reach so many people if we work together. So we are teaching them that how can they reach their communities. We have a 500 churches that is under a network of ARC mm -hmm. that uh, are connected like almost like all denominations except Catholics. <laughs> uh, the part of this, this, this wonderful network called ARC there. So I, ha so I do have the privilege that through uh, teaching them how they can impact their communities is a great opportunity to really uh, reach more people. Yeah, Kyle, there's a, a phrase they use, isn't there? Um, uh, so think of the most famous brands in the world, right? Probably think of Nike, that would be one, maybe McDonald's, but also Coca-Cola, right? So when you go to Pakistan, there's Coca-Cola signs everywhere and you can buy Coca-Cola. Um, and um, a phrase that you guys have taken is you talk about being colas, because yeah. people recognize what colas are. And Kyle, tell me what a cola is. Yeah, cola, other than a drink that we seem to drink at any time of day, even <laughs> 9 a.m., doesn't matter. Um, it's a community of light and salt. Yeah. And it's, it's language straight from the Bible, but has become the language of this church network in Pakistan as well. And um, What does that mean? I mean, yeah, he touched I mean, on it, but what does it mean? Okay, it's dangerous giving a previous pastor a mic because you're about to I know, launch I know. me into everything and I might not stop. <laughs> but um, well, even, I don't know what you've shared about the disaster and what we have We haven't, doing. so go ahead. Um, so if you don't know, a flood hit Pakistan back in August through uh, seven or eight consecutive monsoons, which is abnormal. They usually have one or two, but a third of the country got flooded and was underwater and almost two million families lost their homes, which is crazy, millions of people. And so um, that, that sent the church into response mode, uh, which is such a beautiful opportunity in the midst of devastation. And I won't go into all the details, but um, just as of a couple days ago, we hit uh, in unique people that the church has served in the past two or three months. It's 80,000 people mm. so far through access to clean water, food, tents, all those types of things. And I was thinking about that this morning and I get so emotional about the church um, because it is God's hands and feet. We are his hands and feet. And so you look at 80,000 people, that's massive, mm. but it's not just about the mass. That's 80,000 opportunities for believers to go and find the one, mm. to connect with the one. And I love that, that first verse we read about the remnant and God calling them all back and nobody will be missed. And that's not just a bishop's job. That's not just the pastors of the churches. We each are now able, and we're seeing that there, yeah. where the church is being released through the country to go and find the one of those 80,000 and draw them God's direction. And that's what a cola is. Mm. It's a community of light and salt, seeing chaos and devastation, but not running from it, but running toward the pain to see what God will do in the midst of pain and drawing them into freedom and hope and it's happening over and over and we're seeing full communities respond mm -hmm. and because of this active community of light and salt moving forward as the hands and feet of Jesus they're responding and and worshiping Jesus and choosing yeah. to follow them with their lives yeah just 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 one thing just Kyle uh, for j just as Kyle said one church unique church planted we never thought we will plant a church during disaster. We thought yeah. we need to just respond to the disaster. Mm -hmm. But a church has been birthed. 300 families gave to their life to Jesus Christ. Mm. And that one church is kind of bring, uh, kind of brought a bridge uh, or become a bridge to 400, uh, four, more fam four more communities. Mm. Yeah. And now we have 
600 more families that we are impacting through disaster. One church birth, birthing four more churches. So you never know, you become the light and salt. It just means that you live. It also means that you have to do good works, but you have, you yourself is a witness of Jesus Christ. Whether you are child, you're old, man, whoever you, I mean, you work at home, church, wherever you work, you are the light and salt. Mm -hmm. You are the church, not the building. So that may be the kind of the other way to put that uh, we see a great, great uh, kind of transformation happening since we, we feel that if we live a life that show Christ by our actions and by our word and our deeds. Mm. You know, in our, our reading Gospel Reading today, we heard of how people mocked Jesus and how they doubted that he truly was the Messiah and the King of Kings. And you live in a country where 98% of people are Muslim and 2% are Christian or other minorities. Um, and really, they don't believe that Jesus is God. If you ask a Muslim, they'll say, no, he's not God. And so Christians there are treated as second and third class citizens, and they're sometimes thrown in jail for professing their faith. And, but what I wonder is, we live in a country that's increasingly hostile towards the Christian faith as well, in terms of sometimes hostile, sometimes just disbelieving. Um, what would you say that as you come to America and as you come back to the North America, what would you say are the lessons that you've learned and are learning there that need to be learned here by the church, would you say? And for us, particularly here on Daniel Island and beyond. I think uh, persecution is always there from the very beginning, from the very beginning of the church. And church, if the church on that time, the early church, if that considered as a hurdle that so we may not be here. We, right. we, we, we might not be here. So I think the, the persecution to us is an opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, we felt that when you are persecuted, you actually kind of invent new ways to demonstrate your faith. When I was persecuted in 2011, I ran, mm -hmm. <laughs> basically came to USA. My wife was freaked out and she said, honey, just go. So I was here and I kind of I, I kind of learned what God wants than what we wants and he just sent me back. And he said, "Look back. I have ne I have not quit the country either you. So go back. I am with you. Be faithful." So when we in the persecution mode, what we learn, we stay faithful. God just build his own church. We don't have to be worried about building his church. We need to be faithful. That's he, that what he wants. But, and that's what we are doing. We are standing on those gaps where as a church we have to stand. For example, uh, Jonathan, during this disaster, I'm, I'm coming, back to the, mm. coming back to the disaster. Uh, one of our goal was that we as a church, how can we respond this very need? Mm. And not just respond the need, but also use this need and connect to the government and reach to the palace and show Christ there, not just reach only the unreached or the poor people or the very least people. Mm. We thought it's a great opportunity. But, but see, these people, most of these people, if I go back and see, are the people who hate us. Maybe they, they, they want to persecute us. 
or they really don't like us because there are two, three reasons. One reason is the Christians are actually came out, came, came from a low caste Hindu background. Mm. And on the other side, they also hate us because they don't like Christianity. They don't like West. They kind of put us with the Western world and they say, oh, these are the Christian. So they have a reason to hate us. But during this disaster, we thought it's a great opportunity to even go back to those who hate us. Mm even in the government, who make the policies and kind of don't want us to be there, they don't calculate us. Our numbers, we are not 1.5. We are basically five, we are five person. Mm -hmm. We're not 1.5 person, we are five person. Mm -hmm. We may be a 10 person, but we are under uh, calculated, mm -hmm. right? We are not, they're not showing us. So, so let me put, put this back. So we are trying to find the opportunities those are giving us a great, great kind of uh, way to communicate the love of Jesus Christ. This disaster helped us to reach the government, the, the health department, all the way to the, to the police department, and also we were able to communicate to the politicians. And they have seen that how the church is serving. How did I go? I don't take my cross in. I take cross my, I put my cross here like this, and I go as a church. I don't go as a charity. I said, I, the church is there to help you. Mm. And that makes them like, what? Mm -hmm. Oh, we think Christians are poor, they're bad, they're street sweeper, they are sewer cleaners. But now the church is there. This cross is them, is not what they believe. They believe that Jesus Christ were not crucified. Someone else was crucified in his place. But by good works, we are showing this cross, the very cross that they denied. And praise God, it is making a great progress. We are making a great progress. People are coming closer to us. We are sharing the love of Christ. And again, we are called us. Mm the community of light and salt. Church means the colas. That's, mm. that's maybe, the persecution is, cannot stop mm. us. We are just moving. <laughs> Amen. Carl, would you add anything just about church here and what you're learning over there that you would bring back to the church here? Yeah, sure. Um, obviously, I haven't lived under or experienced persecution the same way mm. yet. Um, yet. But <laughs> I, I do believe there is a heart shift that, God calls each of us to whether or not you're ever called to step foot in Karachi. Mm. And when, when he first opened the door for this relationship and to go there in person and now long term, um, I mean, the first time in Pakistan, I came home with the most simple but potent message for my life and for our church at the time. And just this message that people are worth the risk, whatever that risk is for where we are, whether, mm. whether it's blatant persecution or the rejection of, potential rejection of a neighbor, you know? And now, even before moving, there was this process of God even asking me in my own time with him, are you really willing to die for me? Mm. And because we even biblically read that we are meant to die for him, whether in martyrdom or within our own flesh, right? 
and it, it led into this process probably about six months of me being faced with that question just between me and him. And as much as I loved him and as much as I felt called, I couldn't say the answer was actually yes at first. The answer in my flesh was like, no, I do not want to die for your sake or anyone's. But this process with him of getting to a place where I am actually dead to my flesh, and it's a new thing to learn every day, um, but it brings us to this point of then there's a new filter when, is this service being recorded or like streamed? Uh, this is being recorded but not streamed. Amazing. So if we're going into territory, it takes a new filter of not just is it dangerous or not, but is God saying go there right now or not? And then I am actually dead to myself already. So we can not look through a, fil a fear filter, but simply respond to what God is mm -hmm. saying. And again, that's an extreme Mm -hmm. scenario, but sure. it applies to wherever we are. Mm. Is God calling me right now to have this conversation with my neighbor? Then how dare I be afraid of potential rejection or speak up in the workplace? How dare I be afraid of it? What is he saying to do and then do that? That's awesome. I love the, the afraid people are worth the risk mm -hmm. and they really mm -hmm. are.